Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Hey, Sherry, this is exciting. I'm so happy to have this chat with you. <laughs> Likewise. I'm, I was so happy to find there's someone else out there doing this. I know. And I, I was a little like, oh, my God, I didn't do it first. But then I'm like, you know what? Just the fact that there are now two podcasts about showgirls or bluebells is it's it's just telling me it's 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 right. It's people are wanting this. So. Yeah, and I think even we may have some crossovers of who we interview, but we both are from different eras. We have different connections, and even with two of us, we're never going to get to all the wonderful stories that are out there, so we can actually like kind of tag team and get more stories told. Exactly, and every and you know our followers can listen to each other's, and it'll be it'll be amazing because we both have different styles of interviewing, and it's been it's been interesting. I listened to uh, the first, I think, six of yours because I hadn't launched mine yet. And since I launched mine, I haven't really had any free time. <laughs> yeah. I'm up to like 22 that we've launched, but I have seven or eight in the bank. Oh, good. Because with COVID, it's like, oh, people have time now. And I thought once we get busy, I may not be able to keep up. And now I'm, it makes me anxious because I get so excited for the one I just did. But I've uh -huh. got seven before that. So it is fun, like on the day it launched, like, ooh, this is this one. But then there's also this one I just recorded. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. And I can understand, like, I don't have as much time to listen to the, I'm a, I'm a podcast junkie, so I already listened to 10. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I have a long road trip coming up. So I'm like, okay, this is where I get to catch up on my podcast. Very cool. The listening cool. of. <laughs> where are you going? Um, I live in Seattle, so I'm going to Long Beach, Washington, and it's about a four and a half hour drive. All right. And I'm just going to stay in a place on the beach where I'm not going into town, just, just for a different view, just be by the ocean, take my dog so they can just run free and bother everyone. But it's also, it's just to be, yeah, just to go somewhere that's not uh, my 10 mile radius I've been mainly staying in. That's awesome. Very I have cool. to ask where where are you? Where do you live? We should know I this. I'm in Denver, Colorado. Oh, that's right. <laughs> are you from there? Yeah, I grew up here, and uh, my parents had a dance studio in Aurora. And then after uh, when I was 18, the only places to dance were Colorado Ballet or um, Cleo Parker Robinson, and I was not a very young. 12 year old you know looking ballerina Russian ballerina so I couldn't get into Colorado Ballet and then I was definitely not the African-American modern dancer that Cleo Parker Robinson is famous for uh, having so I uh, auditioned for Nevada Ballet Theater I got in and I did two and a half seasons there and then I auditioned for Jubilee <laughs> I and I love because we both have been hearing a lot of stories that you know, it kind of, it's a very exclusive business. Like you have to be this high, high, this tall, and you yeah. have to have legs like this and you have to have a certain body type and this training, you'll be able to kick your face. But yep. even though that's exclusive, I felt like we were the ones that were kind of like, where do we go? We're too tall. We're too leggy. Nobody can partner us. So it feels like even though it's exclusive, it's exclusive for the ones who are excluded. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> it's kind of like, I finally found my, my tall people with long legs that 
couldn't yeah. always in the back for every picture always the girl that was helping lift the, the other girls because you were the tall one so yeah <laughs> but in the small town I'm yeah. five I'm five eight and a half. I went to the doctor yesterday when they say five eight and a half I want to argue and say no I'm five nine yeah but I'm also 60 so that does happen I've lost a half inch so at least I'm not auditioning that I have to prove that I'm five five nine and <laughs> really straight put, put in your heels <laughs> yes um, there was, this is so off topic, which, but I don't know where we're going with this is, uh, we took the kids to Disney world and my daughter was maybe five and she wanted to do, I think it was Indiana Jones and you have to be this tall to ride this ride. So um, I know how to, to stand up taller. So, okay, lift up here, kind of pull your spine up a little bit. And then we put a ponytail on top of her hair, which that's totally cheating because they could snatch <laughs> it down, but it made her taller. And then, uh, yeah, we were telling her all the tricks of a little bit of lifts in her shoes to put like some folded newspaper so she could ride that ride. <laughs> so I kind of use that when I'm working with my dancers, like pretend you're auditioning and you have to do, you have to be this tall to ride this ride. You know how to pull an extra half inch out of your spine by lifting and uh, you get on the rides. The other kids don't get to go on, <laughs> which is Jubilee and hello Hollywood and the Lido yeah. Day. That, that no was our ride. On that ride anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> so sad. I know. Oh. oh, that's one of the things that a lot of the guests I've had said they just they were so young and they didn't appreciate it at the time. And now yeah. that we're older and it's gone. Yeah. I mean, they have the Lido in Paris and the Moulin Rouge, but those shows are n not even nearly as big as the Don Arden shows uh, in Vegas where, or in Reno, you know. Yeah, and I and I think going back for the reunion and seeing it, and I think so many of us were like in awe that we were part of that. And I think like I know you just interviewed Pete Menifee, and I remember yeah. telling him like because I part of my story was the shame around being topless, the the family yes. I came from, and having that redeemed at the reunion to go that was so beautiful. Yeah. And I told him that uh, kind of that story like of not taking the the job and then taking it and talking to Miss Bluebell and crying in her room yeah. about the shame part and about he said you know I've heard so many stories from these beautiful women who were body shamed or just thought there was something wrong with them and he goes it wasn't my costumes that made you you beautiful it was you were already beautiful it just helped you to see that and that made me cry I thought that was so beautiful because um those messages you get when you're younger that you're too tall you're too thin you're too fat you're too this or too that we take that to heart and maybe the maturity of living life a little longer and taking that older, wiser self and picturing mm -hmm. yourself like, Oh my gosh, I was that good. I was that beautiful, mm -hmm. which sounds arrogant, but man, if we had a little bit of that arrogance, more that confidence back then, I think yeah. we could have lived into it more fully. And that's what I love the younger people that listen to both our podcasts. Maybe they can catch on to that sooner and really, really own it and live into it instead of wait and go, damn it. Wish I don't know how right. what I was a part of. Yeah, for sure. I I really hope. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it wasn't wasted, but there I experienced a lot because I was on the principal path, and I was so set to be a principal. Like I was like, this is all there is, and that's it. And it was hard for me. It actually made my life harder because I was so like one track minded about it instead of just being appreciative of being in that show and being so like being part of something so, so much bigger 
than just one person. So mm. it's again being a young dancer and I think a lot of it had to do with um kind of my upbringing uh and and of course dance too but you know you had to be perfect as a ballerina you had to be perfect and every like hair had to be in place and um you weren't really anything unless you were a star that's kind of the way I was taught yeah. and so and that's really hard because I mean, you put that pressure on yourself because you're trying to get so-and-so's approval, whether it was your parents or your teacher or your coach or whoever. And it's, it's really damaging. <laughs> you know, it can be really damaging. Um, and it takes so long to undo that damage. And I just, I wish that I had someone like a mindset coach or a coach back then that was, that could, you know, impart some you know, words of wisdom. <laughs> so oh. hopefully in my podcast and, and on my website and everything, people can, you know, learn some of those things. That's, that's my hope anyway. Well, we should probably say which, what our podcasts are because uh, some people that might have listened to mine have not heard yours in the way around. So um, yes, go ahead, go first. <laughs> well, my, mine is called Bluebells Forever. And I asked Lindsay for the permission to use that because that was the name of the reunion that we just had. And it just like, I had other ideas. I'm like, no, it has to be this because we are forever bluebells. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yours is? Uh, Showgirl's Life. I love that. And I I know of yours because Lindsay, who I interviewed, posted that she was on yours. And I went, wait, what? And I listened <laughs> to it. And I feel it is like, wait, was I, you kind of want to be the only one. And I had yeah. a thought on that too. But it actually, like, I listened to it. I'm like, oh, I get to listen to this as just, and just take in. Instead of like, what, what should I have done different or just to hear that. But I think even like you said about principle, like we're conditioned as dancers to look at other dancers as competition. Yes. Like at audition, you got to be the one that stands out. And then if you want to be a principal, I never had any inclination to be a principal. I looked at those girls with their Royal Ballet Academy. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be a principal. That was not, so I could, I feel like I could kind of appreciate that we we all made it. We didn't have to compete against each other. Yeah. But I think, yeah. I mean, as humans, we do that too. But I think in the arts that you were always fighting for that, you know, very few spots that are there. And so other right. people don't get it if you get it. So I think I was just like, I kind of caught myself with that. And then I was like, this is so exciting. We yeah. can actually like celebrate that there's two and that there's enough stories for everybody. And I feel like in dance studios, we're conditioned that way. Like if another studio moves in, like it's going to take from us as opposed to like, wait, there's enough dancers. There's enough arts. There's enough things for everybody to be able to be successful. But I think, yeah, it's definitely conditioned in there early on. And like you said, what comes from your family, whatever uh -huh. you need to do to, to get the attention that right. you have to compete for. Right. Oh, and we were definitely a competition studio. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was competing, uh, I think when I was four or five. Oh, yeah. So yeah. now the question is, what do you do with all those trophies now? Like, okay, I won. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. What do I do? So yeah, they're probably in the landfill somewhere right. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, I've kept a few. Um, I have uh rainbow connection was uh, Vicki Anthony and I can't remember her husband's name, but they live in Las Vegas. Um, and he passed away before I moved to Las Vegas, but she started the rainbow connection. And I <laughs> funnily enough competed when I was 13 or 14 years old. And Rich Rizzo, Rich Rizzo was one of the judges. Really? 
Yeah. So like that was my connection already to Vegas. It was so crazy. Um, but I kept that medal because I won uh, whatever overall score, whatever for that, that one, one piece. And I've seen the video since and I'm like, how the heck did I win the top score of the entire competition that day? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> At least <laughs> those were pointed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I mean, I did, you know, blossom into a very uh, talented uh technician and dancer and so um yeah I that's my biggest problem with dance though is the competition that is it's it's so scarcity mindset um just because it's through and through the whole thing there's only a certain amount of spots available in a show or in a production or you know what I mean yeah and that's why my girls are not dancing I have two daughters and I didn't get them into dance because I didn't want them to have body image issues and I didn't want them to be extremely competitive people and, you know, I wanted them to have self-confidence and, and self-esteem and boy, do they have it. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That's, yeah. Before that goes away, it's like, if you can foster that. Yeah. Especially, uh, they're going to be 12 and 15 this year. Oh. So that it's like, really like I have to be here. And yeah. so I, uh, right now I, I deliver groceries for shipped, um, I'm a ship shopper. I don't know if you've heard of shipped, but it's basically owned by target and you go grocery shopping at target and then you deliver for people and I can <laughs> literally make my schedule anything I want. And so I've just been enjoying this pandemic in my own weird way <laughs> to serve the people that will not leave their house. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, I, I do recognize that their girls need their mom more than ever right now. So, yeah. oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, my, my kids are 30. I have a 30 year old son and a 27 year old daughter. And okay. I they didn't dance at my studio. I opened my studio when I was pregnant with my daughter okay. because I'd been teaching in the competitive studios. And I saw that you have to ma mainly be married to the studio, and your kids yeah. either are going to live at the studio with you. Yep. And so, I do I have an adult drop in studio, and it's amazing. We have a lot of teach a lot of dancers that are working professional, it's all great. But I don't have to deal with little kids. But my kids just, they love coming to the show. They didn't really want to dance. Um, but I just knew, like, those crucial years of their, their teen years, I didn't have to live at the studio. I have great people that do work study because I had seen what had happened to the, a lot of those kids that either their mother is you know, on them because they're, <laughs> they're, they're just their mother. And so they, there's no way that they're going to get all the attention or none of the attention. And I think there's wonderful ways it works and I've interviewed some people that their daughters actually took from them and became professional but for me with the lifestyle I just like I need to, I need to have a schedule where I can be there for their things at school and the things that I would miss if I was at the studio every day yeah I mean my mom had to make that choice both my mom and dad they both ran the studio so oh, they both did. yeah and for for daughters and uh, she did have a son and he passed away when I was 10 so Oh, wow. Yeah, it oh. was yeah a rough time. Ten years yeah. in that studio, and when I left, they basically closed the studio because all of my sisters weren't really interested in dancing. So I, hmm. I, they kept it going going for me. <laughs> yeah, which well, is you know a big sacrifice. It's it's really hard, you know. So it's interesting how you know some people like and it's just some of the things I've been learning about what we value and uh, in our lives. And that was really important to my parents was to run a successful business 
And for you, it was to be there for your kids, you know? So it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome that choice too, though. It is hard. And it's hard to do both. Like, I feel like when I was home, I was thinking I should be at the studio. And I know that working moms do that a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, I go, I just, I want to be there for all those moments and the studio will be fine. And if it doesn't, I don't want to lose my family. It's okay. Right. You lose a business. It's hard, but you don't want to lose your family. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's no judgment on people that choose the other too, because it's, yeah. it's a hard choice because there's some people that sacrifice everything to be with their kids and they kind of lose themselves and their passion yeah. and what, what gives them life, which I think for kids to see that in their parents of something especially for moms, like to see that your mother is something that she's passionate about is also a great, great thing for girls and boys to see. Right. Well, I mean, that's why I started my business too. And I still play dress up. I still put on my showgirl costumes. I still, I, I choose to do me as I never have been before because I did lose myself when I became a mom, I lost her and I had to find her again. Mm. And that's, yeah, that's why I started the whole, I, I actually uh, retired from dance. I say air quotes, retired in um, 2005. That was my last year at Jubilee. And three weeks after I left the show, I found out I was pregnant. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. New <laughs> so chapter. Like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. And like, I, I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll come back. Cause I left as a principal. So I was like, I could always come back. They even said, like Fluff said, if you ever want to come back, you are more than welcome to be here. And so I was so burnt out by that point. Um, but I didn't go back and we moved to Hawaii. Then we came back to Colorado. We've been back since 2007 and I just, I didn't want to go back, but I went through kind of like a, I don't know, I call it the dark night of the soul because it was a really dark time in my life. And I was really just very unhappy and I started doing burlesque. And I got myself back up on that stage. And burlesque is very different from being a showgirl. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of the burlesque shows in Seattle. There's some yeah. fantastic burlesque mm -hmm. uh, performers in Seattle that uh, are, they've been here. They know some of them are following me. Um, but the, it's a, it's very different. It's it's a variety show. It's, it's basically like an adult talent show. It's not... Mm. It, the caliber is nowhere near what we are used to as um, professional dancers, but it was just to prove to myself that I could do it again, that I could still dance and I could still entertain an audience. And I did that for about five years. And towards the end is when I really started pushing more towards being a showgirl again and not doing the striptease. So um, it's, it's been an interesting journey, but I started my website showgirls life um, two and a half years ago. And I did it because I wanted to help uplift and inspire women to like tap into their own inner showgirl, like, like we used to do. Yeah. And we were kind of guided into that as we, you know, you know, became bluebells and all of that, but it's not, it's not necessarily to help women get their butts up on stage. It's to help them like, just be in their feminine power in their lives, you know? So that's why this whole thing has been going on for me. <laughs> Did you have to fight through some demons to get back up and do it? Not really. Um, I left my husband and I, we separated like in January and then I was, I was going through some therapy and some just crap 
um, I've dealt with more since I left uh, burlesque, but um, I just, I saw someone doing a burlesque act in at some event and I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get my butt up on stage and I'm going to do that. And mm-hmm. it was so easy for me yeah, after, I mean, I also make costumes. I've made costumes since I was like, I don't know. 12 13 <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, I was like oh yay I get to do something creative and I get to get up on stage again um so it was the I would say the demons that I've been sorting through and and reintegrating into myself you know those have been after um after even doing burlesque so it was like the door was opening and it was all after this dark night of the soul as they call it and it's just been this crazy journey of like figuring out who I am, what I want, what I'm about and um, how to be me, the real me that was able to get up on that stage in front of those thousand, whatever, 1300 people every night and perform and just pour my heart out onto the stage every night. Like it was nothing. So that's mm. the, me I want to be every day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as I feel like the, those days are gone, I've got one dancer that wants to audition for the Moulin Rouge. She did one, and I and I kind of knew it wasn't going to be just what they're looking for, and it's what people think it is is different. And so it was a, right. a hard awakening. Um, right. But the, we, I have a friend that was, you probably have heard her episode. My friend Anne, she was one of my students, and we teach a showgirl workshop every once in a while. We thought, well, let's just try it because I've got a bunch of costumes that I bought for garage sale for Greg Thompson production. So we've got, they're nowhere near Jubilee, but they're, they're feathers and they're pretty. And so we'll do the walk and people are sweating because it's harder than they think it is. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about the intention behind it, yeah. and it, it, when you see women get really moved, like, cause you think, oh, I'm supposed to be sexy, which means I have to not be really me and put on like, like you see it at competitions too. Like, yeah. like 12 year olds should not be doing this sexy face. Yep. like with her tongue <laughs> that's not sexy yeah um, I always joke because I use the song the song fever there's a Beyonce version I'll do kind of like a Fosse walk thing okay. and when I say the song's fever I go it's not scarlet fever or yellow because <laughs> people do this face and like just try that if you're gonna walk in and you want to meet someone do that like sexy face like well people are gonna go are you okay yeah. so we talk about like what is that knowing that that inner purr is what my friend Ann calls it like So when they start to do that and they're working so hard and their face is all furrowed and they've got their feathers are trying to balance. And when they finally get it and you see something shift and like they get emotional. Yeah. It's like, it's not me telling you how to be sexy. It's not because you put the feathers on your sexy. It's like, like how Pete Menifee said that is that enhanced what you didn't know you had. So I think there's such beautiful payoff in doing this because, you know, they're probably not going to be on stage with those feathers, even though we did do that for one of our shows, which was, for our shows, it was a lot of hip hop and stuff. Like to see that much sparkle, people are like, whoa, where are we? Because they're not used to like rhinestones and sequins on our stages. But there was something, the glamour that made people perk up a little bit like, what is this? Right. But it really was the, the, the process of them telling afterwards of how that made them feel like feminine, but, but, but regal. Or like there was a lot of adjectives that were not uh, on their vocabulary of what it feels like to be. I just know like a lot of times if you're a girl in a show, that you are kind of compromising some of the stuff you believe about your own sexuality or who has a right to it. Yeah. Uh, so I think those bigger shows, um, I just interviewed somebody who was, I'm like, it's, it's kind of playing hard to get, but not, it's like, I'm going to let you think you can have me, but you're not snotty. 
You're not arrogant. Um, and that, that's a harder thing to explain. But then when you see someone like my friend, Anne just walk and people go, damn, but it's yeah. not like, oh, she's a bitch, you know, cause she's like better than us. And right. there's a, there's an interesting thing of how with female dancers in some of the shows, I felt like I feel raunchy. I don't feel empowered. Being a showgirl is about tapping into that divine feminine and Ooh, love that word. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's, and it's a feeling like you and Anne talked about, about we just have to figure it out ourselves. And I think like I have pictures of me as a bluebell uh, in Jubilee and the difference from like two years from there, you could totally tell like I was this prudish ballerina <laughs> at the beginning. And then two years later, I was like, I am a beautiful woman. And I, yeah, so it was just like, and it, the transformation has still been happening, like over the course of my life and, and finally loving my body. Now, 20 years later, I'm like, God, I wish I would have loved my body back then when it was actually perky and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's really interesting. But I think that a lot of women even if they're not going to get up and be a showgirl or um, a professional dancer, I think that they should know there is a way to tune into that energy and present themselves in a graceful, powerful way. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. And when you said divine feminine, I think, cause we both, you're talking about healing. Like I've done a lot of emotional healing yeah. the last few years. Um, I think I said it on one of mine that hasn't come out yet that my husband uh, took his life 12 years ago, which sent me into this place of really needing to do a lot of work around that. But also one trauma brings up all the things underneath. Yeah. Um, sexual abuse. I'm just saying that on here if that's okay, but just uh, what was taken for me. Yeah. And working a lot of grief around my family dynamics mm -hmm. and my belief of who I was. And so yeah. in this, in this, way of healing there's a lot of body work I do breath work and there's imagery things and myofascial release and so whatever my head says my body's saying something very different of my beliefs of my my sexuality my body myself as a woman in a world that uh, you can also feel a lot of hatred towards women yep but it was the divine the divine feminine of even coming out of some really messed up uh, white Christianity <laughs> theology yeah. uh, about women and mm -hmm. sexuality yeah. And that everything is masculine. So it was that desire to know about the divine feminine and not yeah. just calling it God is where I started to come alive. And then I look at these pictures of the shows I was in. I'm like, oh, that's where I feel like that. So when you said that, I went, oh, man, that so resonates. And what it feels like is this. Yeah. You have permission to be here fully, not yeah. like you either are super sexy for you're there for someone else's consumption or you have to be demure. Right. And I feel like those times of being on stage when I actually could embody it, <laughs> uh -huh. I went, oh, I do remember that. I do. And I can connect myself. I've actually had conversations with myself at that age. Like uh, Natalie, who I, and Natalie, who I interviewed, she talked about wanting to tell her younger self, you were good enough. You were beautiful. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that resonated with a lot of us. Like, what would our self now say to that, that girl, that young yeah. budding woman of yeah. herself as, as a female? as a female to be celebrated and not just to be a showpiece. Yeah, exactly. And I feel that Jubilee, well, so Jubilee was the only show I was actually in. So that's why I bring it up all the time. <laughs> um, but it, it wasn't about um, 
objectifying us. It was show, like Pete said, it was enhancing the beauty that we already were. And then a whole stage of that was the spectacle, you know? Mm. And so it, you know, now I look back and I'm like, holy crap. And I do, I wish I could tell my, my younger self, (laughs) you got this. (laughs) And, you know, but it's, it's a journey from, and I think we go through those dark times in our childhood and whatever childhood trauma, sexual trauma, abuse, neglect, whatever, uh, codependency, Mm. we go through that so that we can come out more beautiful, uh, on the other side. And so that's, at least that's my hope. And (laughs) as I do my journey, um, from the codependency, you know, because the dance world is very codependent. We, we depend on the audience to tell us, we depend on our teachers and our, you know, bosses or, you know, the managers to tell us if we're good enough, if we're pretty enough, if we're thin enough, if, you know, all of these things. And we just, we basically gave them that power over us and, um, taking the power back. <laughs> oh my God. I want to say amen to everything. And that's not, it's not my world anymore, but amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I wish I could help some of the dancers. I did try to coach a little baby ballerina, but her mom, bless her, <laughs> um, competitive and perfectionist. And, you know, there, there was a lot of push and this poor girl, she did not have a ballerina body. And I just, I was trying to tell her mom, like, she's not going to be a Balanchine ballerina. I'm so sorry. I know you want to see your daughter do, uh, you know, about a Balanchine ballet, but it's, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> and it's hard to tell mom that, you know? Yeah. So, and I was just a coach. I wasn't even her dance teacher. I was just, she hired me as a coach for confidence. And, you know, that it's just, it's hard. It's hard to tell parents because, you know, they weren't in the world. They don't know. I would rather, you know, break her heart now than when she's older and hating her life as a ballerina. <laughs> like I did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I hated my life as a ballerina. I hated it. What and was it about it? I got weight notices every week. Oh. I weighed 120 pounds and I'm five foot eight and three quarters. So I'm almost five foot nine. Or I was back then. Every yeah week you need to lose five pounds you need to lose five pounds and um it just it was hard there were a couple of other tall girls that were like five foot eight in in the company but I was tall with big feet so it wasn't any better um but I just I was unhappy miserable and then when I auditioned for Jubilee I was like holy crap that girl's six foot three (laughs) (laughs) with no heels on (laughs) you know I it, it was like I found my people I finally felt like I was like, oh my God, this is what this is like I've been getting ready for. And I had the I had jazz and tap training too, so it worked out. I wasn't one of the ballerinas that came in with like none of that background <laughs> and that like disco, trying to learn disco. Yes. <laughs> no dance, no jazz background, gosh. <laughs> I yeah. feel like there's the there's an equalizer in those shows. Some people are going to just nail one style and be challenged in something else. I'm like, it's kind of a good, like, okay, we all have to have one place that we have to push ourselves or be not the best. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, we, we want to grow too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime we, we do a show, we don't like, like you were saying before we started recording, uh, you don't want to like stay in the same place. Sometimes that could mean in the sh- same show or just at the same level being like a chorus dancer or whatever. That was me. I didn't want to be a chor- chorus dancer for the rest of my life. I want to be yeah. in the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> did, did your weight, um, like the emotional and mental hold, did that follow you into Jubilee or when you were out of the ballet world, did that still have the same voice in your head? It did for a little bit, probably the first year, but because uh, we, we did a thousand stairs a night yeah. in the show, um, I got I got the uh, confirmation of that when my the uh, old artistic director he was my father in law <laughs> he came to see Jubilee Jubilee was his favorite show he always anytime he had friends in town he'd come see Jubilee even though his son was in the Folie Berger he would take him to see Jubilee. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, back in the two thousands, it just, there was no comparison to the, the, which show is the bigger, better show at the time. But um, he would come to see the show. And the first time he came to see me was like two or three weeks in to the contract. And he said, you look better than when, than when you were dancing for me. And I was like, thank you. Thanks. I think that's a compliment. Um, but yeah, I just, it was, uh, it, it, it finally started to like release its grip on me that there was something wrong with my body. Cause there wasn't, I was actually a woman. I wasn't a 12 year old Russian ballerina. I was a woman with curves and mm. it was to have the curves, you know? Uh, did you guys have weigh-ins at Jubilee? Um, not when I was in the show. Um, there were a few girls that had um, that issue to deal with. They were just curvier, you know, and if they gained a little weight, then they'd get measured and weighed. And then they'd be given a timeline, I think, to, uh, but that, that, that happened. So I was in the show from 2000 to 2005. Um I heard that it was up until like the late nineties, they were still doing weigh-ins. Yeah. So I'm not sure it, if it was like scheduled or if it was just certain people that had to do it. I'm not clear on that one. I will be finding that out. The more people I interview. Uh, yeah. Cause I feel like I've heard that. Cause we didn't have it in hello, Hollywood. Hello. I think it's like, you know, if you need to lose a little or gain, you might be just told that, but we didn't, we didn't have weigh-ins. I didn't get that till the cruise ship days. And then, that's where a lot of, I think the <laughs> disability, just a what, <laughs> debilitating, yes. uh, about the weight and eating, and that was like a small show. I was five nine, and my opposite in the show was five four. I was what? ginormous. I mean, they, it was a smaller ship shows, and there's only four dancers, two singers, and so the producer, which I love, but she's like, well, Sherry's five foot nine. To tell her she needs to be one hundred twenty five, and I, I was one hundred thirty. But I would get fined five dollars a pound. I was over, so every week I had twenty five dollars taken out of my paycheck. And I look at those pictures and I'm like, "Oh, I wish I was that fat now," because it was like I was so thin. But it started to mess with my head, and yep. mainly not calling people out, but everybody was doing cocaine and speed, and I wasn't doing drugs, so they would just stay up all night, do drugs, eat, drink, puke, 
do all that. And so I would like go to my cabin so I wouldn't be tempted by all the wonderful food at midnight buffet. I would walk around and I never ever could get those last five pounds off. So my whole contract, I'm paying $25. And I, I look at those pictures and then there was another company that also we did weigh-ins and it just was so much anxiety. It was yeah. once a week and we'd line up in their fishnets because you don't want to have your bra actually add an extra ounce to your <laughs> to what they write down. Right. People would take their eyelashes off to get weighed. I'm like, that's not going to help. Or they go, I got to go poop really quick. <laughs> I mean, it's just like you have the show and then you have to think about that. And it's just, it's really weird to think of the company manager male standing in the girl's dressing room while you stand on the scale. And then a friend of mine that was a wrestler told me this trick they would do to get their weight down is when you're on the scale, the person behind you very secretly lifts your butt cheeks up a little bit and it takes like two pounds off your weight. (laughs) So we would line up and then you would do it for each other. And I was the last to go. And he goes, oh my gosh, you guys have all lost weight. What have you been doing? It gets to me and the girl who was supposed to do mine had done something else. And then he weighs, he weighs me and then she forgets, she runs up and she lifts my cheeks up and then I dropped two pounds on the scale oh. and we got, we all got caught and he just thought it was funny. But I mean, I, I remember eating in the restroom, restaurant, not restroom <laughs> and having a milkshake. And at our rehearsal, the producer said, Oh, I heard Sherry had a milkshake and this person had ice cream. Like the, the restaurant reported us for having, I mean, that was probably the only thing we ate, which is really dysfunctional is that we had that for lunch. Um, but yeah, it just, I think that in Hello Hollywood, my idea of my body and weight was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I got hired. I don't really have to worry about this. It was the smaller shows I think had more power to <laughs> these four people are doing great. These four people, and it's just an arbitrary number they picked. Like you're five nine, so let's say 125. That works. And it doesn't matter if you are curvy. It doesn't matter if, you know, you're so- more muscular. <laughs> it's like, this is some number we have set for you that you're never going to attain. <laughs> so I know into my adult years, my up and down with the scale is more from that than, than the bigger shows. But I mean, I was in 1980 and they weren't doing that. So I know things have changed like later than that. And then before you, I think there was a period of time where weigh-ins were just a normal thing. <sighs> Gosh, I don't know why dancers have anorexia and oh, we yeah. gain a bunch of weight afterwards. And, and then it's like, I think, I think, can I swear on this? Yeah. I think it's a fuck you. Like, I'm going to go ahead and just be, and then, like, that's a, that doesn't hurt anybody but herself, but I feel like there's almost this um, defiance around our body that when we're not performing anymore. And I don't know how many dancers have dealt with that, but, like, why can't I lose it? Because, like, I finally get to not have this all wardened mm. over. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Rachel Zinn, who I interviewed, we talked a little bit about weight. And she's like, I hate you right now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm 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 walking like 6,500 steps a day right now, running through stores, shopping for people, right. and then lifting oh all the like cases of water that everyone's hoarding. You know, like I, <laughs> that's my workout. You know, you're back in the show. Just oh. add some, don't do the elevator. Just take the stairs. Then yeah, just get, the stairs. Um, I did when I. I went to Russia when I was 16 and I studied with a Bolshoi ballet for a semester and I did not know, but the cafeteria did report me for eating uh, two lunches. My friends were starving themselves. I didn't understand why they were starving themselves and Mm. they would give me their lunch card and I would use their card. So I would have two lunches because I was starving and I couldn't figure out why I was starving. Well, I gained 20 pounds in a month 
because I hit puberty. And then my teacher came back and told me I was fat because they weighed me. And I was like, well, what's, I don't know what I, I came. Uh, I think I, I went there at 107 pounds. I was, I was 16. So I was really oh my God. Really skinny for my height. And I, I was like five, seven at the time. Um, and then I left there at 127. So I had gained those 20 pounds and I was miserable. They made it miserable for me. Everyone was talking behind my back. I don't know what they were saying. They were all whispering in Russian. And uh. the telling uh, the partnering teacher that I was too heavy and he was like the skinniest scrawniest guy in the whole class (laughs) (laughs) and so like I understand like having to go through that um and I was but I was younger and I I was like I had never been told I was fat or fluffy or like hey you need to you know watch what you eat or anything so it was like a shock to me and I went through depression after that when I came back so I don't know why I even considered going into the ballet world professionally, but I, I guess it was all I knew. And so mm. I did. Um, I'm glad I went to at least got into the company in Vegas. Cause that gave me the opportunity to go, you know, audition for the shows. But um, the, the stuff, the shit that we went through um, for our bodies to look a certain way and that some women had to, uh, you know, go through worse stuff. And, you know, that, yeah, of course there were the drugs and the anorexic and, I was lucky. My teacher, um, my ballet teacher, she said, don't ever look at the scale. Don't look at the numbers on the scale. Look at your body and look and see if you think you are overweight. And so I don't own, to this day, I still don't own a scale. And when I went to the doctor, I went to a checkup a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, I know I've lost, I've probably lost like five pounds in the last couple of years because I've been stressed out. And he's like, you, you lost a pound. You're 132 pounds. I'm like, are you serious? I only lost a pound. Why do I look so skinny? It's because I'm working my muscles more and like just the fat's going off yeah. and stress, oh you know, it's, it's hard to be a, what I call a gig worker, um, in the gig economy, you know, sometimes it's really good and really lucrative and you're making lots of money, but then other times it's your, you know, it's like the fat years and the lean years. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's stressful. It's running your own business. And then you're still, uh, it's not my body. That's the problem. It's my service. That's the problem. So if I get like a one star from someone, I I take it really like badly. I get really down on myself and I'm like, I, but I was trying my best. (laughs) So it's still that, that codependent cycle. Like I need someone else's approval. I need the five-star rating. And, you know, it's crazy being a dancer. Like, and I keep, you know, going into these cycles, I guess, because I still have more to learn. (laughs) Yes. The world can be a scary place, but it it also can be, you know, a place that uh, we, we can grow and learn and become even better people than we, we were when we got there. Where, wherever there is mm. yeah yeah because Re- reno was pretty safe when i lived in puerto rico i got mugged at gunpoint i had oh. my purse stolen i had my necklace pulled off my neck we had people break into our apartment people broke into our backstage there was nowhere you could have anything my mom would send me birthday gifts i'm like please don't send me anything. the mailbox gets break broken into and I mean, I remember being followed. Men would masturbate when they walked behind you. And we were just this anomaly because there was our cast was a third Puerto Rican, a third Cuban. And then there was all these tall white girls from the mainland. 
but they would see us and they like would follow us and it was scary. And then people like, well, like that it was a horrible experience. I'm like, no, but there was all this wonderful thing of the Puerto Rican culture and Puerto Rican people. So I can't like say the whole thing was bad. There were just a lot of situations that were very scary, but that, that's that time of living on an Island and being in a different culture was worth it. But yeah, there's like being a female in a, is just already traveling, you know, you have to really, really have people know where you are, what you're doing and have yeah. some, someone checking in on you and don't go anywhere by yourself. Well, I bet you learn to self-advocate and <laughs> keep yourself safe, right? <laughs> yes. yes. I also learned when they like to intimidate you from the back and they're like, they'll, you know, me, that mom, and they'll say all that. They want you to be intimidated. And I had had it. I turned around. I'm like, what? <laughs> yelled at him, and they went, <gasps> and then they just—they're not used to like somebody just like, I'm done with this. And I went, oh, there is that option too. <laughs> yeah. just say, what do you want? I'm done with this. But put them in their place. That yeah. But it also made me very aware when my kids were teenagers to be yeah. like, okay, the world is not the same rose-colored glasses I had going into the world. Uh, I think I was more like, uh, oh my gosh, naive. And then that got shattered. And then I'm like, well, there are, it doesn't mean everybody's out to get you. So you have to find that place of, you have to be smart. You have to yeah. be careful when you're, you know, traveling to do your show and checking into a city you don't know and know your surroundings. And yeah, I think about all these young girls that have traveled all over the world all the time. We've had bluebells that, you know, I'm not sure how well people were watching out for each other back then because we were probably way more naive than you had the luxury or you didn't have the luxury of that. You already knew about trafficking. and Yeah. No, my mom wanted to make sure that never happened to her daughters. So we knew about a lot of those really bad things, really scary things at a very young age. So, yeah. <laughs> and then my dad's from Mexico. So we'd go to Mexico often. And it was it was like we all had to hold hands and do not let go of your sister. Kind of, it was, it was, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of fear. Um, and so that's been my uh, journey this year is letting go of that fear and just trust, just trust in the universe, trust and, and just have faith that everything's working out. So, mm. yeah. That's, awesome. that's what makes people's stories so wonderful is like when you look at the backdrop of where we all come from and that we yeah. chose to do this, it's like, yeah. that makes the story even more exciting and remarkable. I, I think so. And, and some of us have come from not great beginnings, you know, and, and we're able to, you know, leave it at the stage door, basically, so to speak, and, uh, you know, become whether it was an alter ego, or the person they really should have been uh, on stage, and, you know, live that mm. life of glamour. And, you know, I know that some of the girls I've heard, um, like in the 60s and 70s, were expected to fraternize with the, the mafia people. So <laughs> there's still a little bit of ickiness, you know, that was happening. But by the time I got I got there, none of that was happening. It was all corporate run and we were pretty safe. Well, <laughs> one of the interviews that you haven't got to yet, I think it was, Mich and I can't, I'm going to say the wrong one, so I don't want to do that, but that when Bluebell brought the... Um, the show to the the leader the leader they pre to the stardust that it was like a talk with management that the girls were expected to come out and fraternize and she yeah. said oh no my girls won't do that and they said well that's what's expected uh -huh. and she said I will take them all home and she actually it was a bluff because she had no way to fly them all back home 
Yeah. But she said, my girls don't do that. They are here to perform. And she made sure they got home and put them in taxis. But because the Bluebell girls were not required to do it, I guess the other strip shows, not strip, strip, strip tees, but like shows on the strip. So we, if the Bluebells don't do that, we don't need to do that. And it changed how the dancers were treated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yay, Bluebell. Because if nobody speaks yeah. up for girls, it's like, well, this is what you do. This is part of your job. Yeah, I had heard that. And then I asked um, Nikki Adamo. She actually um, came to the Lido de Perry. She was part of the opening cast. She said it was expected. Um, and that's why she left the Lido because really? she, she was like, it's not, it was, it did not feel right. They, yeah. she, said, all, they, she said all they were expected to do was go have drinks and just talk to his Goombas, she called it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she said Frank Rosenthal called her into his office to offer her the next contract and said, but we're only doing a three month contract for you. And um, with an option to extend for another three months, but you have to change your mind about not going out to have drinks, you know, in the casino. And she was like, well, so she left and she went to hallelujah Hollywood. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And so I had heard that about bluebell. And so I talked to Nikki and so she danced from 77 to 89. And then, um, Rosebud was there earlier. So I, I had heard bluebell said, no, my girls don't do this. I will take them home. Um, but so far, and I've only had a couple conversations with the older generation of showgirls, they said, no, we were required to. So yeah, it was, Mm. yeah, gross. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was because it was like, um, they got, Rosebud said, uh, they got away with it. Um, because Bluebell apparently said no. But she said the way that they got around it was saying, oh, no, you girls, you don't have to talk to anybody. You just get two free drinks at the bar. They, oh. they would try to entice them to come out with free drinks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's that's what I heard. And so I'm sure everyone's story is going to be a little different. But yeah. I like to think that Bluebell stuck up for the women and she you know, stood her ground and she was like, no this is how it's going to be. Yeah. But yeah. And there is that still thing for women not being safe or what you do, what you're expected to do or. Don't get me started on that one. Yeah. It's like, like just hearing that, it makes me think how icky that is that like you get this thing you get, you wanted, but this is what you also have to do to deserve it or to, this is the, this is the thing that, that you don't have a choice in that, that yeah. It feels so icky. Um, Rachel Zinn said that Fluff had told, uh, she used to do storytelling up at the smoker's corner, uh, um, <laughs> backstage at Jubilee. She was a smoker at the time. So she said Fluff would tell these amazing stories. And she said, Fluff said they were expected back in the earlier days, they were expected to fraternize. And she said, no funny business, but we were expected to go and chat with people after the show. And they had to wear gloves and a hat and a gown they had to dress very nicely every night just to go to the show and then hang out after the show and then go home so yeah but I um one of the girls sent me the I I got rid of all my jubilee paperwork I wish I would have kept it but she sent me her contract from 2002 
and there was a clause in there that said artists will not be expected or required to solicit drinks from customers or fraternize with customers. It is in, it was in the contract, uh, the Jubilee contract. So I, I thought it was a bluebell thing that that was in there. Mm-hmm. But then uh, when I, once I talked to Nikki, she said, no, that must've been later after the corporate companies took over. So <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of this craziness, but I'll, I'll yeah. stick with Bluebell. Bluebell stood up for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, yeah, there's always some subversive way un- to undermine because she wasn't there watching all the things. I just remember like uh, there was one night at the sh- after the show that there were some guys waiting at the stage door because I don't think that happened very often or people even knew where that was. But I remember all of us, you know, when you wash your makeup off, it looks terrible. Like your skin, unless you're going to go out, you put some on. Some of we just scrub our face and your hair looks terrible because it's been up in the little crap, you know, the little wig cap thing. Yeah. And we'd walk out. I remember like all these five foot nine, six foot two girls walked past them and there were <laughs> some guys holding flowers. And they asked like when, I don't think they said when the pretty girls, they said something that was really funny. Like one of the pretty girls coming out or something. And we're like, oh, you just, they'll be out pretty soon. And we all walked around. <laughs> past them <laughs> and they're waiting they're waiting for the girls with the lashes because we would go out afterwards you know as a group not not to fraternize we would go to like the pepper mill if anyone's listening I think it's still there that was our place uh-huh. as a group we weren't going out to like fraternize in the casino yeah. but it was rare that you'd go out in your makeup so you could walk right past them with your freshly scrubbed kind of modely face <laughs> like everything being yep. smeared around and yep. and uh, walk right past them and they're like waiting you know, probably we're not ha- hanging out in our heels. We're probably like in our tennis shoes. And because the yeah. back door was definitely not gr- glamorous in Reno. It was like a big parking lot. And you would just drive home and have your glamorous showgirl life. Have, you know, have popcorn and watch a movie at four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and they're waiting for these like, you know, basically Hollywood celebrities. And we're like, ah, oh, you just wait. They're coming pretty soon. That is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Stage oh, door Johnny's. Stage door Johnny's. <laughs> I have a question too because you had your website. Yeah. What moved you to do the podcast? Like what what in your hopes of what it would be or why why you took that next step? Like what were you hoping to bring out of this? So I've always wanted to do a podcast since I started the the website and I just wasn't sure like what I would do. I'm like I can't just be like telling showgirl stories myself. And then when I went to the reunion and I started listening to everyone's little bits of experience. Some of it was similar, but some of it was different. And I, I was, I don't know if you saw me running around with the book, getting people to sign it with my, my Sharpie, my, my sparkly yeah. pen, but I literally was running around like that silly character on that one high school movie where she's like, will you sign my yearbook? <laughs> so but you were I, at the, Par- you were at the Paris reunion last year. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I wish I'd know. I wish see that I know. Would have been fun. <laughs> there were over 350 of us I could, yeah I think I got 112 people to sign my book and I I'm like maybe I should start sending it around the world and have people sign it because <gasps> I'm like yeah I'm like I, I I don't know maybe it's it's an idea but I don't want it to get you know lost in the mail or something <laughs> right because that's a treasure <laughs> yeah so I'm like okay I will just figure out maybe and then it got to my mind to start going and meeting everyone where they live and doing interviews. And I was like, holy crap, this is my podcast. So I've always wanted to do a podcast. I just wasn't sure what it was going to be. And then when I started hearing all these stories, I was like, 
that's it right there. And so that's, that's basically why I started because I was like, I'm fascinated by everyone else's experience. It's similar, but it's slightly different. And, and we all come from different, you know, upbringings and dance studios and, and dreams even, you know, I wanted to be a principal dancer. That was like my goal since I was like 14. Like I wanted to be in the spotlight. So every step I took, you know, brought me that way. But there are so many people that were just like, no, I love being, you know, a swing or being in the chorus and just, you know, being the line captain. That was something I loved. And so, you know, just listening to people share their experience. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. It's, it, I have so much fun doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can both thank Lindsay for the podcast because yeah. I, it was the reunion that did it for me too. Cause I'm, I told you I'm a podcast junkie and it was like, we had to wait in line. Like, and there was nothing that could happen to not have to do that, to get us all checked in. So while we were there, just the stories of people in line, and all that, like the costume disaster stories and like where people were from was just so, again, fascinating because when you get outside of that world, that's weird. But when you're in it, that's like normal. Right. And it's like these stories, and I'm a big thing about story. That's part of my recovery and healing has been the power of our story, our true story, not the story we tell all gussied up, but um, that's already been a part of I'm always fascinated. I want to hear people's stories. So I'm like, that's what podcasts are. So that's so funny. We were both at the reunion and both got inspired. Oh yeah. By that. That's beautiful. Yeah. I didn't, I, yeah, I guess I didn't check. Uh, is your name Sherry Lewis in the book? Sherry Pennington. Oh, that's. I'm, I think I may have signed your, I signed somebody's book. That'd be funny. That, oh my God. <laughs> Cause it was, probably, it was probably a drive by that you did like a flyby, like sign it and go. If you were at the that cafe after the first meet and greet in the no okay because there was a whole table I was like boom 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 I just went through everybody and then it turned out there was one woman who actually lives here in Aurora right now and her friend overheard me telling one of the other bluebells that and she goes wait you live in Colorado right now and I'm like yeah and so then I got lost in that whole uh, interaction between the two of them and it just it was just so fascinating to me so I am gonna go look at my book after we're done with this call yeah (laughs) I'll send you mine and you and you can uh, sign mine as well that's (laughs) I I didn't even think that oh that was that would have been good that would that would have been way more fun than the yearbook instead of like don't go changing have a nice summer no and I yeah I just I why did I bring I don't remember but I think my my partner he's a, a magician Oh, this is why. So he, um, he's a magician and he wanted to visit one of the magic shops, one of the like world famous magic shops and leave a signed card. And he wanted to sign it right then and there. So he brought one of those metallic signing pens and he's like, here, just use it. And I'm like, oh my God. And I didn't get the idea because I didn't know we were going to get that amazing book until I got it. And I was like, I got to buy another one and everyone's going to sign it. But I, like I said, I think I only got like 112 people out of 350. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I started telling people, Hey, can you, uh, you know, next time you talk to someone, tell them someone is looking for signatures. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was one woman, I need to look her up. She, she, her story was fascinating. She said, I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't told anybody about being a bluebell for 40 years. And that made me so sad 
that was another yeah. reason that I was like, I have to do this because she cannot live out the rest of her life and that experience that she had not be told because it's it's important. You know, yeah. the is dying off and no one's I mean, there's some people that are trying to preserve it. Um, like my friend Sue Kim at the special collections at UNLV. She mm. she is um doing oral history type of stuff. So she's actually gotten me a few people to interview from the older generation because she's friends with them. Yeah. And so it's been it's been amazing. Like just this whole <laughs> this whole adventure that I'm on. <laughs> and now it's not just me on it. It's you. And well, you, when you released yours, I, I think I found out about your podcast from Pete. Oh and yeah. Yeah. So I reached out to him after I had started reaching out to like just my friends that were in the show, but I wanted to talk to the older generations because you guys, your stories are I feel like way more interesting than ours, <laughs> you know, having to deal with the mafia and like, you know, getting paid to travel and, you know, Hey, go do this show and we'll send you there, you know, kind of thing like that just wasn't a thing when I was in the show and certainly wasn't a thing by the time the show closed. Um, so yeah, that's, that's such a, even like just Jubilee's history is very different from the beginning to the end. Oh, yes. And maybe. then when you go back, like I interviewed and this is horrible. I interviewed, um, Elizabeth Phillips lost her recording because it was, we started it and then she, she's like, oh, can we start over? So we started over and all it saved was the four minutes of us like fumbling and my daughter uh, changes everything over for the recording. And she said, all you sent me was four minutes of you guys like, doing it wrong. So I have to um, reach out to see if we can do it. And there was such good things because she's 80. Okay. And she said for her, it was the first time she's talked about it to anyone in 59 years for her <gasps> and I was and so I feel like a lot of especially some of those that haven't shared it they get emotional because they like oh this was special this this is yeah. actually like the one that came out today Rachel Keener her story was so fabulous but how like when she went into corporate world they were they told her don't put dancer on your resume because that's <laughs> not going to make sense and so she took it off it made me sad like you said you had that same visceral response of like yeah. but that's who that's who oh. you are. And now in her life, it's come back into her life. And I'm like, yeah, like to just kind of dissect that, that that didn't exist. And that, because I think for a lot of us, it shaped us profoundly. Oh, for sure. And to just be like, oh, that, that was just another chapter. I think the people that I interview, there's this, I think everybody hits that realization like, oh, this is still with me. I didn't realize that you were a tall nude. I was also a tall nude. So, um, Bluebell, tall nude, short nude, and then principal. And now we know there's ponies. And there's ponies. Now I'm okay. <laughs> and now I'm asking the older people, were you a pony? <laughs> You're in the right. pony. What was your interaction with the pony line? How funny. well I don't know if there I don't know if all the shows had that or if it was just I, how I all you would think. So I don't know if I've heard of other ponies. So if you ask somebody else, they'll be like, What? What are you talking about? Were you a calf? Were you a pony? What were you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it might have been a short-lived thing. Oh. Um, yeah, it must have been. I well, I will be. I will be asking that. I'll add that to my long list of questions. That's the, that's a new thing. It's like I got to interview a pony. I interview a pony. 